welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. And, uh, hey, I'm Matt Dwyer. That music you hear right there is Les Blanks. Go, uh, I'm very thankful that they let me use that song. So go to lesblanks.com, buy some of their music, listen to more. Today's uh, episode is is by far the best one I've done so far. And it's, I'm so amazed that, uh, this Pete O'Neill, who is a, a black Panther, uh, he had to leave the country due to, uh, some charges back in the day, uh, runs an orphanage in Tanzania. And, uh, he, it's a really amazing episode. So I also want to uh, thank my friend, Danielle Burnaby for actually hooking me up with Pete and helping me uh, get this interview. It's an amazing, riveting hour. Pete is a fascinating generous, warm individual. And I honestly, I, I, I can't say enough about this episode. So I'll shut up and uh, maybe let you just listen to it. This is uh, Pete O'Neill, who is a great human being, unlike me. Okay, I guess we're uh, ready to go. Uh, Pete, is there anything you would, uh, before we start, is there anything you would, as you would like to be introduced as or the official title? No, I'm no, I'm Pete O'Neill from Kansas City, Missouri, and that's it. You are you are Pete O'Neill from Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, and now you uh, you live in Tanzania and you run an orphanage. Is that not correct? That is correct, sir. But more than that, yeah, you. Uh, I do live in Ta- I do live in Tanzania and have done so for the past forty years. And in addition to an orphanage, we have a community center where we host, uh, where we teach community-based programs, computers, English, empowerment through the arts for women, music, music production, et cetera, et cetera. You were, that's a, <laughs> I, I feel really guilty because I, I just lay around on my bed most of the day. <laughs> I'm a, a Well, I, intellectual honesty compels me to say I do a great deal of that as well these days, particularly <laughs> now that I'm in my 70s and I have younger people to help me out. Uh, but I'm, I am not uh, divorced from laying on my rear end in bed. <laughs> <laughs> now the now the 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 road that took you from Kansas City to Tanzania is a very is it it's a, it's a very long road was it not I mean you've you it, it, it was a long and convoluted road and it left me it took me from Kansas City Missouri to Sweden eventually to Algeria, where we spent and worked with the Cleavers, Eldridge and Kathleen Cleavers, and established the international section of the Black Panther Party, and finally to Tanzania, where we had to learn a great deal about a great many things that we had no idea about. Now, and j- that is pioneering and farming and so on. Yeah, I, I definitely want to get into those things. And, and just to j- touch on briefly, too, uh, you you were sort of forced to leave the United States due to, like, was it false charges against you? I mean, because God knows that there was plenty of false charges against the Black Panthers throughout the 60s and 70s. I've... Well, you, you, false is a relative term. I was accused of transporting a $19 single-shot shotgun from Kansas City, Kansas, to Kansas City, Missouri. Now, honesty forces me to state that I've carried more guns across that bridge 
or in some cases across the street from Kansas into Missouri, then I can count. But this was the newly implemented COINTELPRO 1968 Gun Control Act, which was designed to take arms out of the hands of Black Panthers, and not just Black Panthers, but progressive people across the board, whether they're the white, left, or whatever. Um, so the judge, they had absolutely no evidence that I had carried this particular gun because they confiscated it from another Panther a year before. And it was he was fined and it was dismissed. But they said, as I was a Panther, I must have carried it across. And they added this caveat. They said, transported or caused it to be transported. From that single charge, they came up with, from that initial single charge, they came up with a total of three charges, which could have resulted in my spending 15 years in, in federal prison. Well, I was convicted on one, a hung jury on the other, and I, remembering the song about Kenny Rogers, the gambler, where he says, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. And as COINTELPRO was rearing its ugly head, it came to me that at that particular time, it was best to get out of Dodge, and we did so. Yes, and you you were newly, were you newly married at that point, too? Because your wife was... Oh, no. Well, Charlotte and I had been together for a year. Yes, we hadn't been married that long. We were married in a, a, a Black Panther ceremony in Oakland, California, which was very brief and certainly nothing fancy or anything. Do you want to be married? We do. Are you going to embrace revolutionary? We do. You didn't consider yourself married, and so that was the extent of our marriage. Now, I should add that this marriage unconventional marriage, though it may have been, has lasted and grown for the past 43 years. You, you've, I mean, you've, you two have been to, through a, a great deal. <laughs> I mean, uh, from what I've read about you and what I've studied. Uh, I mean, yes, we have. You, you, you upped and, and, and left the state. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, I, I don't, th- I don't think a lot of people are really, uh, I, I think are still misinformed of exactly what I mean about the Black Panthers. I mean, I never heard much about it until I was out of high school and researched it myself. And it's it, well, it's you like you had the the breakfast programs and you, which you kind of continued the those the works of educating people and feeding people once you left uh, Kansas City, correct? That is absolutely correct, and I'd like to point, if one were to use the conventional media as a guide, they would think that the Black Panther Party were a a bunch of violence-prone, crazy people, uh, blood-lusting, crazy people, and that absolutely is not the case. No. The first thing they tried to use against us was they claimed that we were a racist organization. Racist? We were talking about inspiring people to a class uh, revolution, a class struggle. We tried to emphasize that that while we recognize that as black people, our primary thrust has to be for the benefit of the black community, 
ultimately intelligent reasoning people have to see the larger picture and understand that an egalitarian kind of solution to the problems that America faced and continues to face is the only reasonable solution. And so we were talking about coming together, struggling together. Uh, our position was that whites should organize productive uh, movements in their communities, blacks should do the same in their communities, and we should form working coalitions, which we did. And you will bear in mind that Eldridge Cleaver ran for president on the Peace and Freedom Party. Uh, and uh, so, so the, the racism thing had no validity whatsoever, but they used it against us. The next thing they loved, and they continue to love to harp on, is the fact that we said we would defend ourselves regardless. We said the, the old stereotypical uh, uh, picture of a black man bowing before police forces when they approach him had to come to an end that we were going to make ourselves aware of the law, we were going to use the law to our benefit, and we would state the law clearly when we were threatened when arrest. And if a person came at us in a violent manner, that we would respond in kind. Now, Malcolm X once said that all, and this is all sensible people, anywhere in the world would much rather resolve contradictions in a peaceable manner. And most thoughtful, reasonable people abhor violence. Well, the Black Panther Party was no exception. But I, where we did draw the line, if you come at us in a violent manner, you can expect us to respond in kind. That was used against us. Um, and that's, I mean, that's... We were not... Go ahead. Oh, I, I mean, I was just going to say that's only logical. But that if I mean, if somebody's going to bonk me in the head with a, a tire iron, I'm I'm going to do what I can to stop that from happening. <laughs> I'm yeah, not going to be like, oh, that's cool. Not. You got a uniform. You can yeah. hit me. Of course, that's true. But the, we, as I was about to say, we were not, and I am not, philosophically nonviolent. Uh, Nonviolence as a philosophy works well for some people. It worked wonders for Gandhi, and it worked a great deal for Martin Luther King, and they were able to accomplish a great deal using that. But that does not, that suit does not fit everyone. There are people that are say, I just don't have that particular kind of courage that would allow someone to hit me in the head with a tire iron and I turn the other cheek. I, I realize it takes a special kind of courage to do that, but it's a courage that I don't have. So there are so many misconceptions about the Black Panther Party. And when I speak to young people here today, these days, these recent times, I always emphasize the fact that in spite of what the news media has put out there, the jewel in the crown of the Black Panther Party was, and as far as UAACC, our organization is concerned, continues to be our community programs. That's the best that we've ever done. And that's the least of what the conventional media focuses on. Yeah, it seems even to today people underestimate education, especially in the United States. I mean, 
I, 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 when you read the papers and you see people arguing all, all over the uh, different various points, I'm just like, why don't we just, if, if people were being, you know, like, uh, social diseases and, you know, teen pregnancy, and it's like, no, but no one is willing to educate on any level in this country. And it's, it's, it's infuriating. And it's like, people need to organize and go out and do things like educate and, and help each other because we're not getting it from the system. And, and, I, I, I agree that we're not, and, and I agree that there should be a new focus on learning and, and, and embracing new ideas. And you want to know something, my friend? I had been very, well, not depressed, but less than enthused about the possibility of that occurring in the United States until very recently. And that was when the Occupy movement started up. That gave me renewed hope. It almost relit that dying fire, those dying embers of revolution in my belly, and it gave me hope for the future. I think something very important is developing there. I would, or at least I hope it is. I, I, I hope so, too, and I actually would like to ask you about that, because uh, I've been reading about a lot of, and, and uh, watching a lot of documentaries on a lot of the 60s and 70s radicals, and it seemed like what was really great is like there was there was a face to movements and there was an organized here is what we are about and we are we are going to you know we're taking action on this and i don't i don't know if i sense a lot of that in these times i mean i think it's great that people went and occupied wall street and that is definitely something but i, I do you think they would benefit cuz i don't know who the face of occupy wall street is and that's the one thing that concerns me there's no one eloquently speaking as there was in the 60s and 70s about the movement, and I, I wonder if that blurs the, the message. Do you, do you feel... I, I understand what you're saying. That is very well good. Dull the, the message or stifle the message, but my thinking is that this entire movement is in its infancy. It's, it's in the process of being born. Good Lord, it hasn't been going on to... It has not been two years, I'm almost certain. Uh, uh, I'm hopeful that if it continues and if they persevere, some forces, some eloquence will come forward and forward and be able to state their goals and their aspirations and at the same time unify a lot of forces that seem to be, and this is what I'm gathering. Bear in mind, I'm 15,000 miles away and uh, probably light years behind in the thinking, but it, it seems to me that while there's a general support there has not been a lot of commitment to participate from from diverse parts of uh, of the communities. I think something or someone is going to have to come to the fore that can be a unifying factor. I think it's going to happen. I, I pray that it will happen. I, I, I certainly do as well. I, I feel like this this country is a need of a swift kick in the ass. Um and it need it, it, now that that's eloquently put far more eloquent than I put <laughs> it a swift kick in the rear end might just do it a good uh you know what I might have to be good. the I might have to be the spokesman for the for the occupy all right very good I hear you <laughs> now now when you now you were originally from Kansas City now how did you did how did you get run away as you said or how did you flee to an to you went to Sweden originally, right? That was the first place you went. Yeah, yeah. 
And you, remember, remember, we were talking about the big picture and egalitarian uh, 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 society. Well, the Black Panther Party had working relationships with the white left, and it was the white left that uh, facilitated our leaving the United States. In order to do that, they said there was one thing we had to do. We had to get from, and this was not an easy thing to do, get from Kansas City to New York. We had, and of course, I would never mention a name or an organization under, even in these days with the, the Patriot Act, there could be consequences for people. But uh, there were organizations, there were people, wealthy people that were doctors and lawyers, but of a progressive bent, and they were associated with some rad so-called radical organizations. They took care of all documentation and tickets. The important thing was for us to get from Kansas City to New York. Difficult, considering that we were under 24-hour surveillance. And they knew all of our cars, all of the cars associated with us. They had shifts of policemen outside our apartment. Let me tell you a real quick story. Charlotte and I, we were rather brazen. And police are watching this shiny helicopter lights in our bedroom window at night. We didn't give a damn. And we ordered a pizza. And a little white boy came up driving this little pizza cart, little, like a little bicycle, motorcycle thing, and he had the pizzas in the back. He got out of, of his little cart, got the pizza out, and was walking up, and the detectives sprang out of their car and put them, stop right there, freeze. <laughs> and poor little white boy scared him to death. He threw the pizza in there and said, please don't shoot me, please don't. And it was... Charlotte and I laughing our ass off. We shouldn't have laughed at the, <laughs> at the situation of the little boy. But, uh, I mean, they were on us. So we had to figure a way to get out. We eventually ended up having a guy drive up from Arkansas with Arkansas plates in a car that no one knew, and we were to meet him some blocks from our apartment building. Now, what the police didn't know, we lived in this apartment building, but if you went into the basement there was a door that took you to the next apartment, the basement of the next apartment building. And then there was another door to the a row of apartment buildings. So by going through the basement, we can get a block away from our house. And came out in the alley, dragging Charlotte, gashed her knee, uh, dragging uh, the little luggage we were carrying, and met this guy. He was there. He's Charlotte's claustrophobic. He said, get in the trunk, lifted each other, had those big boat of cars by ships that look like ships. Get in the trunk. We get in the trunk, curled up in there, Charlotte shivering and, and uh, shaking the guy, puts the thing down and drives until we get out of the city. And then we get in the car and he drives us to St. Louis, Missouri, where we had reservations, ran to catch the plane to get to New York and landed in New York City, and within less than 24 hours, we were on our way to Sweden. As a part of another little part of my story here, uh, they, they, the, these were doctors and lawyers. There was a lawyer that came with all the papers, and he's just nervous, and he's going to drive us to the airport. We're in a safe house in Manhattan, and he's driving us there, and he, I remember the, the night line of, of New York City, these big, huge towers. I don't know what's in them, maybe oil or water. Or something, but big, but lights everywhere, far different from Kansas City. 
And as we're driving, the guy's hands are trembling on the steering wheel. He had the radio on. And I heard this little tinny-voiced boy singing a song, I'll be there. And that was 12-year-old Michael Jackson singing his song, I'll be there. I learned Charlotte, and I said, we're going to have to remember that song. <laughs> <laughs> and so within hours from there, we were on an SAS uh, a plane headed for Sweden, heading north. And we landed in Sweden, and we were the, it, an amazing place. Sweden is did you absolutely. Did you feel like you finally could just breathe easy? Because that, that trip from Kansas City to New York to Sweden must have been maddening, or it, it would be for me because I'm a neurotic weirdo, and I would have I would have been sweating the entire time. Well, I'm neurotic as well, <laughs> and so I was sweating. And when I got there. Uh, when we landed in Sweden, but it looks so bleak. It is the bleakest looking place. And I looked and I said, oh my God, what is this? It looked, they had funny looking birds. I don't know what they were. Some kind of birds walking around the airport. And Charlotte, 19 year old Charlotte, looked around. She looked to the right, and then she looked to her left, and then she burst out crying. And I said, girl, what's wrong with you? And she said, hell, I don't know. <laughs> and I guess it was. I guess it was just the weirdness of the place we were in. But weird as it may have started, it it gave us an experience that we will not soon forget. I really believe, and this was I was mentioning about sweet being different, I think they're from another planet. planet. <laughs> they are the warmest. They are. They are the warmest, most loving human beings, the most laid-back human beings. And these are young people people that uh, we ended up in a commune that embraced us and just aided us and helped us in every possible way. And so uh, we, that, that I, I can remember I was in secretly in touch with people in Kansas City, and they were mailing me articles. And one of the articles I have to this day, it says the caption was, The Men That Hunt Peter O'Neill. They believe that Pete O'Neill is headed for the Canadian border or the Mexican border, <laughs> and they have agents posted. At, and I'm laughing because I'm sitting up in Sweden, freezing cold, but I'm in the warmth of this commune and embraced by friends and what became loved ones, you know. Is, now, how how long were you in Sweden, actually? Were you, were you there for... A matter of four months. Oh, that's it, that's it, and then... Uh, A couple of four months, and uh, we got to Algeria. And you, do you have, did you have to leave, or that was the plan all along? Oh, that was the plan. Okay. Uh, ultimate. You, are you you familiar with Geronimo, who just passed away? Yes, and I'm, I'm, I know he, he was a good friend of yours, so I was sorry to hear that. He was. Well, Geronimo back in 1970 was the last Panther I saw. He came to Kansas City, and I told him, I said, gee, I'm getting up out of here, man. And he said, if you do, you need to try to get to to uh, 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 Eldridge in, in Algeria, Pete. He said, that would be so. I said, I would, and I did. And uh, ended up working there with them and ended up replacing him as the head of the international section of the Black Panther Party. And Eldridge had to, uh, he had to leave the States as well, correct? Oh, yes, he did. He was uh, out, out of Oakland. They had this uh, uh, warrant for his arrest. I think it was attempted murder or some silliness or something. 
Yeah, that's when you mentioned too. You mentioned uh, with the Patriot Act earlier. Like, it, if if somebody tried to organize something like the Black Panthers nowadays, the something like the Patriot Act would pretty much squash that immediately, don't you think? They could just label you know label you as as terrorists, and then I'm sure they right? that would be the end of it. Yeah, you can't do. You can't talk about things. My God, if if you and I were to have a co- a conversation. A private conversation talking about the pros and cons of revolution, I think somehow that could be construed as unpatriotic and possibly could uh, result in someone going to jail, from what I've been told, you know? It's interesting that a, con- a country that right. was based on revolution can't, can't discuss it. That's the most amazing thing. Now, how long were you in Algeria, and what, what was the what was it like in Algeria? Because if I'm not mistaken, where you live now is very sort of uh, in in the country or in the middle of nowhere. Was it like that where you were? Absolutely. The the fact that that I have internet and and uh, power and uh, and Vonage uh, telephone systems is a minor miracle, and bears witness to the fact that I am a technophile. And I love all these little gadgets which I've hooked up and, and organized and set up myself. But it's uh, there are not many, in the village I live, there are not a great many homes that have electricity. Uh, so, yes, we, we do live out in the bush. Uh, we're only about 45 minutes from Arusha town driving, but uh, in the bush we are nonetheless. Uh, and that suits me fine. I have uh, Charlotte travels all over the world, she, literally all over the world, and I stay here and take care of the babies and love every bit of it. They love every minute of it. I yearn for nothing more. Now, when you first, what brought you to Tanzania? How did you end up going? Well, you know, uh, in in the uh, uh, in in nineteen seventy two. Then United States President uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon went. Great to guy, China. great guy, one of the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the best. He, one. <laughs> <laughs> he went to China and started a rapprochement with uh, with the Chinese, and the world began to change, and it has continued to change to this day, quite frankly. But so the world was shrinking politically. The, the the lines of uh, 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 progressive uh, nations and capitalist nations were merging and morphing, and the distinction was not as clear. So we had to think of a better place to go. And so Tanzania was at the top of the list. And we came here, and, and now, bear in mind, Charlotte has always been a very cultural person. Oh, she was just cultural. African queen. And I was not of cut from the same cloth. And so, when I came here, I was, I said, my God, look at this. I, all I could see was what they didn't have. I, I hadn't developed the ability to look at the, at the natural beauty that Tanzania possesses and the way they live their lives and the family structure. So I, I couldn't. And I came out and said, oh, boy, this is going to be a rough road to hold, this one. And it was. It took a great deal of adaptation. It took a great deal of perseverance. 
and it took an unbelievable amount of hard, hard, hard-ass work. I mean, work your fingers to the bone kind of thing. And so we uh, started developing a homestead, always with, with the thought in mind that we're going to continue the work of the black. This was a given. Somehow we're going to continue the best part of the Black Panther Party. We started out gingerly, a step at a time, and we have continued to this day. So I take great pride, uh, Matt, when I tell people, I said, no. Uh, people uh, uh, compliment us all the time about the work we're doing and the historical significance. I said, yeah. I said, but it's not what we started. This is not something we just came up with out of the blue. This is a continuation of the best part of the Black Panther Party. This is a continuation that your news media chose not to focus on, not to tell you about or to try to minimize, you know? when, For example, when in Kansas City, we were feeding at one point, and for a brief period, 750 children a day. The news media uh, uh, jumped on it and, and uh, came out with, this is a, a propaganda attempt and all this. How the hell are you going to tell a hungry child that's being fed that this is a propaganda attempt? Well, anyway, so this is this was our thinking, and so when we started building our homestead, when we started raising our children, we did so, and we built the United African Alliance Community Center one brick at a time. We never had the wherewithal to say, okay, we'll build a classroom here, then another one there. No, this thing grew organically. One building would come up here, and then another one, a brick at a time, might sit for a year unfinished. And uh, so that's what's what's happening. You are, like myself, a city kid, correct? I mean, like, if I was suddenly living in in the bush as you called it i would be uh, <laughs> I, would, I would be like oh shit <laughs> like i wouldn't know what to do uh, did you have to you would be you would be in that old shit mode as <laughs> i was because i didn't have a clue what to do. not a clue but i had one thing in my favor one thing that was something of an idiosyncrasy back in the day all my life I've been very good with my hands, very good. I can, believe it or not, I cook damn well, and I've always been able to cook. I've always been able to repair things, figure things out, build things. And it was just a little idiosyncrasy. That's something, yeah, you know, Pete, he's, like, he's weird like that. But when I came out here, this became a valuable, very valuable skill because it enabled us to do so many things, to survive. Uh, I used to sell uh, cakes, wedding cakes and birthday cakes and, and things like that. Uh, we sold chickens, we sold barbecue, Kansas City barbecue. As you know, Kansas City makes the best barbecue in the world. And I'm going there next week, actually. Well, then you better go there. Go to, go to uh, don't go to Gates, go to Bryant's and tell them that Pete O'Neill recommended that you go to Bryant's because it has the best barbecue in Kansas City. Anyway, so we sold Kansas City barbecue sauce. I made sausages for 15 years, smoked sausages. I made kielbasa. I made Italian sausage, post-Polish sausages, luncheon meats, and we worked our tails off. Picture this in your mind's eye, if you will. 
My wife has been a, a strict vegetarian. Well, she's vegan now. Since she, I'm not. I'm very carnivorous. But since she was very young, and we're making sausages, and we've got to mix it by hand. And she's got her arms up to the elbows in this ground meat, strict vegetarian, as we're preparing sausages to take to the smokehouse. So we were pioneers, man, in the in the strictest sense of the word. We really were. And we had to struggle and never had any money. Well, still don't have any money. Uh, Charlotte likes to say that Charlotte is, a, a, is different. We're both... The glue for our relationship has always been our commitment to do the right thing, the struggle, struggle for the right principles. But our approach is different. Charlotte is a much more spiritual person, whatever that means, than I am, and I'm very much more pragmatic. And we've never, ever, ever had a lot of money to do anything. Money has always been scarce. But, man, the weirdest thing I've ever observed in my life is that in any of these programs that we're trying to keep going, that we're trying to implement, a way always comes up. If it's at the 11th hour and 59 minutes, a way, a door will open that will enable us to continue. Now, I don't want to wax spooky about this because I'm not a religious person or anything like that. But Charlotte claims, she says, no, it's the law of the universe I'm trying to tell you. As long as we're trying to do something right, the universe will, I said, what universe? She said, no, the universe will make a way for us. I said, well, I'll be, that's the damnedest oak for Winfreyism that I've ever <laughs> my life. <laughs> but you want to know something, man? Pragmatist though I am, hard-nosed pragmatist. For reasons I am at a loss to explain. It is the truth. Now, I, I might end up going to church Sunday, man. It's the <laughs> truth. I, I cannot figure this out. I cannot explain it. But there have been, if there's been one time, there's been a thousand where I said, we're at the end of the rope. Nothing we can do now. Might as well lock the doors and hide the babies. Something positive will happen that will enable us to keep going. Damnest thing I ever saw in my life. But anyway, so that's what we had to do to make it out here. And uh, people come out now, and uh, we have volunteers out. We have, we have Yale uh, University Center Bar group coming on the 5th. When somebody comes and, and stays, because it's, I, I believe I saw it's, a, it's like $30 a bed to come stay with you for... It, it is that. And, and that's not interesting. So what we do is that we have some donation. And uh, if, if people come for different reasons. Come, some people come for, for a short-term uh, 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 study abroad program. Yale is coming for four days. We just sent Stony Brook University back to New York last uh, two, three days ago. And uh, they were here for a month. And then uh, Bridgewater University and uh, North Carolina State. And uh, just universities a lot. Uh, uh, Long Beach, uh, Long Beach, Long Long Beach University uh, 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 comes as well. So we have a lot of groups that come. None of it generates a lot of money, but it keeps us our head above water. 
And quite frankly, you know, that's enough for me. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I, back in the day, and I don't want to dwell on this, but I'm just, back in the day, I used to be a very selfish, very self-centered. This is long before Black Panther Party was thought about. Uh, self-centered, avaricious uh, person, and very, very materialistic. And I never, in my pursuit of materialism, I never had a happy day in my life. And uh, uh, happiness for me came when I, I developed the, uh, the wisdom to realize that just step back and let go of all of these desires and all of these uh, selfish acts. Just leave it. Let it all go. And, you know, it's like, oh, now I'm really sounding spooky now. <laughs> it's great. I, could, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's some, something I probably just realized within the last year myself of, like, most of the things I've always per- pursued left me empty, you know, uh, wanting to be successful and, you know, all these things. And it, all it did was it was an endless circle of frustration and misery, like wanting to be a famous whatever was just leaving me, it was just draining me until I was just like, fuck it, I don't, I don't want that anymore. I understand you, and you articulated that better than I ever have. I have never thought to, to no, I'm not oh, I thought you meant when I said fuck it. That in the manner that you did. You said it left me empty. And it was like, a for me, it was like a bottomless emptiness. You, do you know? An all-consuming emptiness. That I, I said, what the fuck? And you will excuse my language for that. I go, I normally don't do that, but you touched the card here and I, <laughs> and I said I said what the heck? I'm, I'm trying and the little bit that I could get the progress I made toward this materialism it seems like the emptiness became greater and when I stopped it and let it all go and threw up my hands it was as if the, uh, as I'd been living in the dark and someone had flipped on a light switch dim at first but light nonetheless and I said, I think I see a way out of this. And uh, it was. Now my greatest joy in life, my absolute greatest joy, Matt, is this. Is in the evening when my children come in here, I fuss at them. I fuss at them. I'm just like the old grumpy grandfather. Listen, I told you, don't spill that on that floor. Don't you do this. But I'm loving every minute of it. And they know that when they are in my presence, they're receiving all the love that I possibly have to give. Now, that makes me damn happy, man. And uh, I, I can't think of anything that could come close to equaling that. That's, uh, that's I'm, I mean, that's really moving. I, and <laughs> I, I have nothing to add because that's, how many, how many kids are there? And, and how did the orphanage, because when, how long ago did the orphanage start? And, and, and how did that all come about and grow? It's it started. It's approaching four years. The planning started four years ago. We in about three months will be when we took in our first children. Uh, four years ago, so we have twenty three. The youngest is uh, five years old, and we just took him two two and a half months ago. And people often ask me, "Go ahead." Oh, I was just going to ask how how do they come your way? How do you how do they find you, or you find them? Word of mouth. Our, our, first of all, our, our, our community center educational programs are well known. 
We just had an intake today for the next semester. And when we do this, hundreds of people line up, they come. These are young people. I'm not talking about the babies now. I'm talking about the big kids. Uh, people will come from far and near. And these are people that don't have the means or the ability to go to secondary school or that have been uh, couldn't get in or were forced out or something. And this is an alternative. This, I don't think we're uh, threatening established schools in any or competing with in any sense, but it's an alternative. that it, it gives young people something to do. It expands their thinking, their horizons, and it sure in the hell is better than standing on street corners and getting into God knows what. Uh, but uh, so we were well known for that. So when in 2008, when we were announced we were starting a children's home, people came. I thought, I said, boy, if we get uh, 10, 15 people, I'll be happy. There were 100 or over 100 people with, with uh, babies in tow. These were relatives of deceased people from ailments, and, uh, people that had one, one uh, had a, a mother, no father, no mother, no job, all with uh, really, really unfortunate circumstances. So I had a friend, a lady, that is a nun, and she's of the missionary, medical missionaries of Mary's uh, uh, Catholic order, and she's also a social worker. Well, she came out here, and she, she helped my assistant and the woman who runs this children's program, whose name is Mwajabu Sadiki, and she's here right now. She's been here for 14 years. She and the nun interviewed these people and decided on the first 16. And uh, so we, we took them in, and then the rest, I arbitrarily, when people came, and if they convinced me that there was a sufficient need, we'd start taking other people in. Now, we are just at the point now where we have to draw a line in the sand, and we just have to say we cannot take any more children. Someone came with a really, really unfortunate uh, circumstance uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we just had to agree we cannot, we just cannot, cannot, cannot do this it, because it, we don't have the resources and we stretch ourselves so thin it's going to deprive the children that we do have. Is that is it? Is it... I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry. Oh, is it uh, heartbreaking to turn turn away? I mean, oh, it must it must be it brutal. Oh, I, and I'm very cowardly, and that I'll get up and leave the room and let uh, and let 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 my job deal with it. And she's very diplomatic. She's a young woman who's dedicated her de- dedicated her life uh, to our work. You know, so. Uh, but anyway, uh, she and my wife Charlotte. I'm trying to get her a visa as well. Uh, Charlotte goes every year to the uh, uh, to the United States on our Heal the Community tour. So she'll be in California during March and uh, February and March. I'm trying to get Marjabu to be able to go with her. So if they do, maybe you can uh, do an interview with them as well. I would I would love that. I, and I was uh, reading about your wife, so I would I was interested in talking with her as well at some point because uh, I know she also is a jazz. I know she sings. She's a jazz singer, no? Oh, she's a she's she's a musician, a spoken word artist, of uh, an artist artist, and uh, 
She travels all over and, and does a great deal. Very talented young woman. And and you, your foundation, you take donations and all, because I want to definitely give out the information at the end and make sure we get, if people want to. Yes, we do. And you had to... to did, did you, you? Oh, I was just. I saw that you had Sean Penn there for. Did he come and when was when was Sean Penn visiting there? <laughs> this was in 2006. Sean Penn came and spent a week with us, and just had a wonderful time. Came with his uh, with his wife, uh, Robin Wright Penn, I think is her name. It is. Children that are big now. Good Lord, that's been six years ago. Ooh, it sure has. So anyway, they came out and spent uh, spent a week and said they were uh, said they wanted to go to the Serengeti. I didn't wanted me to arrange it and said, "Come on and go with us." I said, "Yeah." I said, "I can do that." I said, "But I I can't I have a bad back." I said, "Bouncing around in those uh, land uh, safari vehicles will not do my back any good." So he said, "Man, we'll hire a a." a, a Plane, and so they did. They, uh, what do you call it? What do you rent a plane? Yeah, something I forgot which one. I'm never going to be in the position to rent a plane, so <laughs> I haven't no, researched it. No, no. Trust me, no, nor will I ever again. <laughs> well, I did one, one other time. Let me finish now. He took us out, went out, had a wonderful time, and then six months later, Jude Law uh, sent a message Man, I want to do the same thing that Sean Finn did. I said, well, okay. I said, all right. So I said, same thing about the plane. He, he said, I'll hire a plane. Don't worry about it. So he came out with his wife, his wife from from my England. I think her name is Sadie. I'm not sure. And his two children. And we went out and had a ball with uh, with Jude Law. We sat around the campfire, and everybody's telling stories, and he's telling stories about his life. It was fun, you know, and just really down-to-earth people, you know? It's pretty amazing. So what is in the future for the, uh, you just, you, are you trying to expand, or is there, or are you just going day-to-day? We go day-to-day. That's that's all we are. I'm starting to think. Uh, uh, next month, I'll be 72 years old. When I left the States, I had just turned 30. Just turned 30. Wow. Now, now I'm I'm looking at mid seventies, approaching mid seventies, and uh, well, uh, time there comes a time where one has to think about well, what's going to take place after me. So what we're trying to do, I spoke about Marjabu Sadiki, the young woman that runs our, our, our children's program, and other people here that have been long-term uh, uh, members of the organization, Tanzanians, I'm talking about hard-working people, I'm hoping that they'll be in a position to take over and keep things going. I would like to think that would happen. Right, so, if, yeah, right, that's, I'm sure it will. I mean, I don't see how it couldn't. Is it? Does it feel like home, or do you still feel sort of, because I know I read something where you, you felt like you didn't, feel like you fully belonged for since you were traveled left the states and does that feeling still exist or was that was something i read in the time so that could be completely Uh, wrong (laughs) and that's very no that's very true i'm very conflicted uh, uh, about that it has nothing to do with my love for tanzania or the tanzanian people but i don't believe if i stayed here for 140 years i would always be something other 
Do, do, do you see? This is the way people think. And I, I don't care. But people say, oh, yeah, you're a Tanzanian, which I'm not technically. They say, oh, you're a Tanzanian. But still, I'm the, my tribal representation. That's what I would, would I'll always be. And I think that's just the reality of the way uh, people view the world and its inhabitants. Yeah, I, t- I just because I mean you're so needed and loved there, and it's just intense. Yeah, it, it would be it would be nice if 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 things were idyllic, but we don't live in an uh, uh, an ideal world, and uh, uh, you know people are people, and uh, we all of us have things that uh, ways of looking at the world and people. Racism exists. Uh, tribalism exists. You know, these are things we're struggling against, and we've uh, uh, committed ourselves to take a position uh, against, but we can't magically wave our hands and make it go away, you know? You just can't. No. Is the... And if you want, I'll I'll move over there, Pete, and we could just hang out and be pals. Hey, let's do so, partner. And I'll bring. Uh, I know you like Jim Beam, so I'll bring some Jim Beam. <laughs> bring some Jim Beam. This my old buddy got up out of here. I, I find it kind of hard press. He and I would get a bottle of whiskey and put on some Richard Pryor and laugh our way into town. Just laugh until we crash. I miss that, you know. I, I really do. I'm a I'm a huge uh, Richard Pryor fan. He was. Uh, oh, the man! The man was a genius. The the best. Comedian to ever live, in in my humble opinion. I, I, that's my way of thinking as well. Now, if if uh, t- t- we're going to wrap it up, so is there any? Where can people send donations or? or yeah. con- is there are there we, any contact and donation information? Can you? And we'll also uh, post that as well. Okay. If 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 you go to leaders, that's with an S. Leaders of Tomorrow Children's Home dot com uh, 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 if you go to that it'll take you to our site that uh, that uh, has the WePay which is the equivalent of PayPal and people usually make donations like that okay well we'll definitely make sure people uh, donate and uh, I'll do what I can to make people aware of that. Uh, Pete, I, I can't thank you enough. This has really been a, a great hour or a little over that I got to spend with you. And I've, as I said, the first couple phone calls we had before this interview, I mean, there's just such a warmth and you're just a great human being. And I, it's, I've immediately just, when I saw that documentary, I was just like, I've got to talk to this guy. <laughs> you're, you're, you're an amazing man. So thank you very much for your time. Well, thank thank you so much, and I'm I'm I, as far as trying to be, I'm trying to be a better person today than I was tomorrow. That's really, really, really what I'm trying to do. So, if I make any progress, I think I must be on the right track. I, I think you're doing okay. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Not that you need my approval. <laughs> no. Your approval is appreciated. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And I well, will, thank you, my friend, and call me anytime. Let's keep this thing going somehow. I will. I will definitely keep in touch, and I would, if I possibly can, I'd like to get out there and actually see what you do and be a part of it. You would be more than welcome, and we'd show you a grand time. I thank you very much, Pete. 
Okay, and I'll greet, I'll greet you, I'll salute you in the ways of the days of old by saying to you and to your technical person, all power to the people. All power to the people. Thank you, Pete. Okay, y'all take care now. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Uh, thank you for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer and that Pete O'Neill episode. Wasn't I right? Pretty great. Um, you know, do me a favor and uh, go to leadersoftomorrowchildrenshome.com, which will, should also be on our webpage, and uh, donate some money to Pete and help him with his orphanage and help him feed some, some people and build a roof and a building and uh, maybe get uh, a bottle of Jim Beam. Pete deserves a bottle of Jim Beam, don't you think, everybody? Guy works hard. Um, please uh, donate money to him and uh, his cause and thank you very much for listening I hope you're doing well for the rest of the day thank you Files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.